0: What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Greg Norman Jr. is the CEO and founder of Shark Wake Park. He is also the co-founder and CEO of Jupiter Group. In this conversation, we talk about everything from NFTs to intellectual property licensing to literally diving with sharks. I really enjoyed this conversation with Greg and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, I want to tell you all about our sponsors. First up is LMAX Digital. LMAX Digital is the number one institutional crypto exchange. They offer clients the deepest pool of crypto liquidity on the planet, all underscored by a 100% uptime track record through volatility spikes. They leverage LMAX Group's liquidity relationships and ultra-low latency technology. LMAX Digital is the market-leading solution for institutional crypto trading and custodial services. If you're an institution, you gotta be using LMAX Digital. They have a central limit order book, streaming spot Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, all paired with US dollar, euro, and yen. LMAX Digital is the number one institutional crypto exchange. They're secure, they're liquid, and they're trusted. You can learn more about LMAX Digital at lmaxdigital.com slash pomp. lmaxdigital.com pomp. Next up is Compass Mining. Compass Mining is the world's largest marketplace for mining hardware and hosting. With Compass, everyone can mine Bitcoin. Their team makes it easy to start mining wherever you want, at home or in one of their 23 hosting facilities around the world. Through the Compass Marketplace, retail miners can access mining hardware with similar prices and purchase plans as the world's largest mining companies. Compass miners own their machines, they choose whatever mining pool they want, and they can mine directly to their own wallet. Miners who don't want to host their machines can order ASICs directly to their doorstep as well. Simple and low-cost hosting agreements coupled with best-in-class customer service are the reasons why Compass is the simplest and most popular way to mine Bitcoin. You can start mining your own Bitcoin by visiting compassmining.io today, compassmining.io today. Last but not least, many of you constantly DM me, email me, yell out to me on the street. How do I get a job in Bitcoin or crypto? Well, I've got some solutions for you. We started a new product. It is called Pomp Crypto Jobs. It's a marketplace where you can go and apply for hundreds of open roles at the the industry's leading companies. Everyone from Coinbase to Gemini, Kraken, BlockFi, Strike, BTC Inc., and many, many others have open roles listed there. All you do is you go to com and you start applying. It's completely free to apply for those roles. So go to pompcryptojobs.com. If you got a job that you don't like and you want a new one in Bitcoin or crypto, there's nothing better than focusing full time on Bitcoin or crypto. So go to pompcryptojobs.com. And if you feel like you're not prepared yet to actually apply and get the job, we have a training program that you can also go ahead and check out. If you go to com, pump. With an S, cryptocourse.com. You can go there. It's a three week intensive course. We teach you everything you need to know about the industry, and then we hand you off to the HR teams at various leading companies. We've worked hand in hand with those leading companies to create the curriculum, so we know this works. People have been hired at everywhere from Coinbase, Gemini, BlockFi, Kraken, Anchorage, BTC Inc., Strike, and many, many others. So if you want an open job, go to PompCryptoJobs.com. But if you want to go through the training program, go to PompSCryptoCourse.com, and we'll see you there. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their
1: opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only.
0: We have Greg Norman Jr. here with us. Some of you may not know who he is. Some of you may know who he is off of uh, crypto Twitter. What's going on, man? How you doing, man? I'm doing here. fantastic. I'm super excited to have you here. I
1: appreciate <laughs> that. I'm excited to be here too. Uh,
0: let's, have, uh, let, let's have you kind of just give a quick uh, rundown of your background and then what you do on a day-to-day basis today. Uh, and then we're going to dive in. And I basically want to just break down a number of the businesses that you're involved in and kind of how they work, what the economics are, so people can kind of understand uh, you've got a skill set around business building, right? That you can apply to IP licensing, the Wake Park, and then obviously a Jupiter group as well. But maybe just give us your background first.
1: Yeah, Greg Norman Jr. So I grew up here in South Florida, went to school at University of Miami. This is my hometown here. I traveled the world with my dad, Greg Norman, the Hall of Fame golfer, and very lucky to experience the life that I have experienced with him. He showed me a lot, showed me part of the world and showed me how he operated, not just in his athletic career, but in his business career. So very fortunate to be side by side with him for as long as I have been. So I worked with him for about 15 years. While I was working with him for 15 years, I was a professional kiteboarder and wakeboarder, So I was able to experience that side of the world too, being a professional athlete, while working with him in the branding, licensing divisions, and operating divisions of Greg Norman Company. Uh, That's shark.com if you all want to check that out. And we have a couple different operating businesses, but we also have the the licensing and branding division, which everyone knows him for as the Great White Shark. So that's a great story. Uh, He got the title, The Great White Shark, by... In 1981, U.S. Masters, he was leading the golf tournament uh, the first day. No one knew who he was because he comes from Australia. Uh, long blonde hair. It had a flair to him, you know, like being very aggressive on the golf course. So at the press conference, they call him in and they say, who are you? What do you do? Uh, where do you come from? He said, from the beaches of Australia. I surf, I play golf, and I dive with sharks. So <laughs> the next morning he wakes up and uh, the newspaper of the Augusta Tribune, I believe it was, said the great white shark leads the U.S. Masters. At the time, he was sponsored by Reebok, and Paul Fireman, the CEO and founder of Reebok, came to him and said, Greg, this is amazing. We have to run with this. So they founded the logo and the name Great White Shark immediately, and they just launched it. And then Greg Norman Collection became the thing. Then from that, it spawned out to Greg Norman Golf Course Design, the wine brands, the, the beef, the operating companies, which are the... Um, Australian Grill, which is in North Myrtle Beach, then in the Wake Parks, and then we have another partnership with Verizon Club Car GPSI called Shark Experience, which is broadcasting uh, entertainment, sport, and news on the golf course via Club Car, via the Verizon Network, so you can watch golf while you're playing golf. So we do a lot of different things. We also operated an opportunity fund for investing into technology that we, you know, our network allowed us to get into um, and then I broke away, uh, not broke away, excuse me. I partnered with him and founded my own company, which is Shark Wake Park. And that took the ethos of what he did with Greg Norman Golf Course Design and applied it to my sports that I love, which is wakeboarding. And what I saw wakeboarding traveling the world is what it could do for communities. And I went to one location in the Philippines where they built a wake park there. It became the number one tourist destination in that area of the Philippines and created this economy around the wake park for the local school kids, for the local population. And I wanted to do that back here. Being from West Palm Beach, there was no wake park here. The only wake park we had is in Deerfield Beach called Ski that was built in 1983. So it's actually older than me. Uh, I used to drive down an hour and a half every day to go ride. And uh, so I knew I had to make a mission of myself to build these wake parks. Uh, luckily enough, the first one was opportunity in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, built um, Shark Wake Park 843. And what we did was we partnered with local municipalities. So they had a park, recreational facility, dead body of water. Uh, They were not creating any revenue off of it, nothing. So we said to them, hey, look, we'll partner with you. We'll share revenue with you. Uh, We'll put in all the money, all the capital in order to build it, we'll operate it, everything. So you get a new asset in there, you get cash flow, and you have another calling card for your community to create something really cool and unique. So they did it. Thank you for the city of North Myrtle Beach for believing us. And it's been a great success to this day, even during um, the last year after COVID and how difficult it was to come out of that. It was a resounding success this year. Uh, and then West Palm Beach allowed me to do it in 2019. Uh, so that was really crazy how we just opened up and then COVID hit and we had to slow down and get back up at speed again. But that's really cool. Shark Wake Park, West Palm Beach is in Lake Okehele. Uh, that's off of Forest Hill Boulevard and the Turnpike. And we actually have two kids there, Colby Zabarth and Austin Rudd, who now are junior world champions. They never been on a wakeboard before in their life. And now they're junior world champions. So I, I got very proud of them. Are you their coach? Ah, uh, no, I'm not their coach. <laughs> I was going to say, I need lessons. No, no, no. got no. the magic I touch. Them. I helped them for sure. I love riding with the kids. They're phenomenally better than me now. Plus I'm the old guy. I ride. My knees hurt the next day. So. All right. So I got a whole bunch of questions. I know what yeah. brothers do as well. Uh, First, let's start with the IP
0: business. When you see the IP get created, right? I think there was an opportunistic, hey, this is a really good kind of moniker and like let's run with this. How does that business work? Right? Do you basically just look around, and you're like, oh, there's a computer, let's put the name on that. Oh, John's got a switch, let's put a name on that. Oh, there's water bottles, let's put a name on that. And like you just try to put the name as many places as possible. Or are you have like a criteria or a framework to make decisions around where are we actually going to partner on specific products and like what we want the brand to kind of stand for, if you will. Great
1: question. So one other thing I learned very quickly from my dad is that he took a lifetime of work and uh long-term vision in order to build his brand that became a very successful globally known brand, the Greg Norman company. What he always did is hire the best people in order to be able to build out the business for him. But also when he evaluated opportunities, like you're saying, do you just slap it on everything is no, absolutely no. What he, what we found is that, and what I think everyone knows is that so easy to degrade the brand very quickly, if you do the wrong thing or tackle with the wrong partner, or you try to jump into the wrong opportunity, it could easily degrade the brand versus add value to the brand. It's very difficult to add value to the brand. So over and over, you have to have that long-term goal of where this is going to be in 5, 10, 15 years, not that. Hey, Next month, hopefully, this makes some money for me and we can move on from it. So, yeah, that, that's the long term vision he's had from day one.
0: And how do those uh, relationships work, right? If you go and you find a company that's making a product, right, whatever the, the kind of widget or, or product is, and you guys want to do a licensing deal with them, how, is it there like a revenue split? Do they pay cash up front? Like, just like how does an IP licensing deal work, kind of from a generic framework
1: standpoint? Every opportunity is different okay. without a doubt. So, for example, a shark experience, we literally partnered with Verizon, Club Car, and GPSI to build out the shark experience, leveraging the name Shark, obviously, yep. in order to get the global credibility in the golf market that we needed to be. That was a partnership through and through, JV. Other opportunities are royalties, or uh, upfront uh, cash flow, or up, uh, upfront fee, or to use a brand. So, it really is all opportunistic. So, we'll actually, luckily, partnered with one of the biggest in the space, which is Authentic Brands Group. Authentic Brands Group just purchased 51% of the Greg Norman name and license. So now they're our partner to be able to go outsource deals for us while we still are working in tangent with our current operating companies and current uh, licensing companies.
0: Got it. So basically, uh, when you go ahead and you do something like that, you guys got it to a certain point, a certain size and success. And now you pour gas on that fire. You know it works. And hey, let's go get and uh, use these partners uh, to really help us kind of take it to escape velocity from there. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, Yeah. makes sense. Um, All right. Golf courses
1: is uh, a part of the business as well. What do you guys do there? Design, manage, build, operate, all the above. So we really say uh, from the very get go, When we come in from a development standpoint and we talk with a developer, most developers want to have the new Augusta National, the Mm -hmm. greatest championship golf course ever, 18 holes of perfection. That's extremely expensive. And you're also pushing out the majority of golfers who are 20 plus handicapped who can't play those teams. So the hardest thing in the world is uh, uh, to make a golf course that everyone can play and enjoy. The other thing to do is the least disturbance approach. Golf it moves around a lot of dirt. We got to create a lot of water. So we got to utilize the environment as much as possible. So my dad's always created an eco-friendly first approach when building golf courses, which is utilize the landscape to be, to be as best as you possibly can do with the golf course. And then what comes next around it is what the money maker really is, which is selling houses on green grass. That's when the late 90s, early 2000s, where the boom of golf happened here, uh, where people were just trying to sell houses on green grass. So you got to keep that whole mindset from the very get-go starts with the golf, then the clubhouse, and then the real estate around it. So it flows very efficiently. I'm sure
2: it depends, but could you walk us through what like an average golf course deal would look like? Like, I'm sure they pay a fee to get it designed. I'm sure they pay a fee for the land. I'm sure they pay a fee to uh, get the clubhouse built, like everything like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we do the broad range of the spectrum from just the land planning, Just the golf course planning. Here's the specs. There you go. Have fun. Go have someone else build it. Go have someone else build it. Or we build it all. Or we do the whole shebang, which is, here's the golf course. Here's the clubhouse with interior design. Here's Greg Norman Real Estate, which is the real estate planning development side of it as well, with also interior design. Uh, Landscape design around it, everything. So, really, you should sell at the restaurant. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Bring in the wine, bring in the beef, bring in the clothing. (laughs) You got it. And where do most of these courses make most of their money? Is it uh, actually on golf or is it the houses? Is it in the clubhouse? Is it somewhere else? Very rarely do golf courses make money from selling greens fees. Yeah. Uh, The very successful ones do from memberships, the private golf clubs you'll hear about, to the very famous public golf courses like Pebble Beach, right? Yeah. $350 to go play golf. It's crazy, but. They're booked out all year long. Hmm. So those are those anomalies, and the rest of the time it is just for development, for selling you know houses on green grass, or bringing people into the resort.
2: Gotcha. Yeah.
0: The first time that we sat down in person, you casually hit me with, "I go shark diving," and I, and I was like, "Wait, well, What is that?" Explain the shark diving real quick before we get into all the NFT stuff.
1: Right. So off of Jupiter, Florida, where it's my home, it's one of the greatest shark diving locations. <laughs> In Florida, if not the world, you have a broad range of species, and it's not as scary as you all think. You really are just sitting on top of the surface, and they're all swimming below you. Crystal clear water because you're in the Gulf Gulf Stream. Um, that is really warm water. You'll have sandbar sharks, dusky sharks, uh, hammerhead sharks, uh, bull sharks do come around. Tiger sharks do come around on a very rare occasion. A great white shark will come around. I've never seen one of those, but they're there. Um, they're everywhere actually. So you you get you're in the boat. Yeah. And How big are these? You, yeah. oh, hold on, hold on, I got a question, I got a I got a questions. Questions. You're in the <laughs> boat. What do
0: you got on? Are you just like in a Speedo or you got like a, like a wetsuit on? What,
1: what do you got on? Pop, don't vision me in the Speedo. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you wear? Wear your goggles, right. mask, snorkel, fins, um, jump in the water. All right, so you jump in, you don't like slide in quietly. <laughs> oh no, man, I dive down there and grab on the dorsal fin and go for a ride with them. You should never do that. I did not say that. I take that back. <laughs> I <laughs> grab the dorsal fin. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, you go down there, they swim right next to you. If you go to certain operations, Jupiter, Florida is amazing for it. There's shark addicts. They're an incredible operation. They'll take you out there, go diving with them. And, and when, get so photos. when you, when you go like, why do, why,
0: and this is me being somewhat serious. Uh, if I watch uh television shark attack, it's the only time I ever hear about sharks, right? Yeah, like, Oh, yeah. somebody got attacked, whatever. Why are they like more chill when you're doing it? Is it
1: because you're not threatening to them or, or what, what, what's going on there? Yeah. yeah. Great question. I mean, Without a doubt, media does spin it all up because the hype stream will be able to get people to watch that show. Great white uh, Discovery Channel, Shark Week. It's all about the latest, greatest new bite, whatever. But they're not like that. They're out there for sure. They are the apex predator for sure, but they're not going around just eating everything. And here's my theory, and I don't know if this is true or not, but there's no shark hospital out there. Sharks just can't go up to anything and just attack and go because they most likely will get hurt too. So they're really cautious If they're going to bite something, if they're going to come in, it's because they know they're going to have a high success of getting a meal. Like yeah, bro, line. they see me. They definitely like, yo, we're going to eat the <laughs> shit out of that guy. <laughs> you ever seen the, uh,
0: the meme of the woman in her uh, car and she's uh, filming? And she's like, uh, you know, if chicken comes in my house, I eat it. She's like, that's why I don't go in the shark's house. Because if you go in the shark's house, the shark's going to eat you.
2: You ever seen that yeah, one? Seen that one. <laughs> yeah, why why so, would you go in the shark's house? I don't go in there. They don't come in my house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, there's no shark hospital, but it is the shark's house. So I, I'm chilling. I just them. looked it up too. There's 57 or no, there's on average, there are 16 shark attacks per year in the United States. 16? Yeah, that's very low. One and very one low. fatality know, every two years. You want to know a yeah. wild stat? I mean, More people die from falling coconuts from a tree than die from sharks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not. It's not. All as right, screw. We we yeah. We're going We're uh, going shark diving. No problem. Well, I mean, you don't want to go in their house.
1: <laughs> no. One, one thing for sure, I do want to say before we get off the shark diving. <laughs> topic, it's, it's fun. Like, it's really fun. Okay, it's not just fun, but it also shows you the new world, which is underwater. It shows you sharks in a real environment. And it could show you down. Oh, well, we actually need these things in the water. We don't need to eliminate them. And maybe it will get you down the road of conservation because we desperately need conservation for sharks because they are the apex predator, because they are apex predator. They are the ones that control the ecosystem in the ocean. So we need them for a healthy ocean.
0: Yeah. So I do agree with that. I, I feel like, uh, people who love the water and love the animals in the water. Um, one, they're doing great stuff for the environment, but two is, uh, the only person I've ever seen do this is, uh, you know, uh, Joe Rogan post sometimes. Like, y- if you really go down a rabbit hole of the ocean, there's some wild stuff. I- I've seen videos online where there's like uh, what looks like a like just g- jellyfish or like some sort of thing, and it changes colors, and then it like poofs out, comes. And I'm like. Dude, I'm out. And then I saw there was an article where they gave a cephalopod, which I don't even know what that is. Uh, they gave a cephalopod. It's octopus. It's octopus. Is it? Okay, yeah. all right. They gave it an intelligence test and it passed. Yeah. I was, I'm out. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Dude, Google it right now. Intelligence they gave, test. They gave a cephalopod an intelligence it has, test. I, I, it's C-E-P-H. Okay, I was going to start with an S. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a good <laughs> thing. I think that's how you spell it. <laughs> cephalopod. And uh, I think they gave it a... Uh, uh an intelligence test and it passed and that's when i was like all right we don't we don't understand it and i think part of it is like you know i talk all the time i got i literally have a nasa jacket on where it's like everyone thinks about space it's like go up go up go up but we don't understand the ocean and the ocean is what i think it's 70 percent of the earth
1: we've only discovered or observed i believe five percent of the ocean really yeah we know more about the surface of mars than we do about the the bottom of our ocean really (laughs) yeah
2: they, that reminds me. Uh, there oh, was, damn. I, they said this uh, cephalo fish is as, smart <laughs> as <laughs> a, is as smart as children. <laughs> I, I told you all. They said that they got the same intelligence level as children. Yeah. And they gave it an intelligence test, right? Yeah. The same one they give children and it got. It and passed. it passed. Yeah. <laughs> but not not like one-year-olds, like, like you know, five to ten-year-olds. Yeah. It's so like your intelligence level.
0: Uh, <laughs> that was a layup. Uh, the oh, the only thing I'll say about the ocean and what I want to talk about NFTs is uh, there's a Brazilian billionaire, I think. Who's the? He built a one man uh, like submarine, and he has gone to the bottom of the ocean. I think he's touched the bottom of four of the seven oceans, I think, or something. I don't know. If we Google it real quick, I think it's uh, a Brazilian billionaire who went to the bottom of at least four of the oceans, or something. But he goes by himself in a like a custom made submarine thing. And I'm like, dude, you got to have some freaking courage to, uh, to go do that. How cool. I want
1: to do that. Yeah. Like,
0: like I actually think that you would go do that. I would would not go do that that.
1: in a heartbeat. I would do it in a heartbeat. Oh, uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. He's you're all going to make fun of me for this, but he did Terminator. He did aliens. He's the director of that. the, The movies. Yeah. Yeah. He went down to the Mariana trench in his own, own, uh, uh, submarine. Really? Yeah. Why am I spacing on his name? Famous director James Cameron. Thank you, yeah. James Cameron. Yeah. yeah. My, my my whole thing with the the ocean is
0: just like if there's a crack in that thing, like you're done. like you ain't getting back up. You'll never know. Yeah. I I, <laughs> <laughs> I also watched uh fr- the free diving uh documentary. Uh, Polina uh was watching it, and there's a woman she's like the world champion free diver taught herself how to do it with her breathing and everything. And, uh, one day she was with some friends. She dove down. Uh, they were just like practicing. So what she went not going like really deep, like kind of world record level depths. Uh, she went down and never came back up and they searched for couldn't find her. And like, I think that's part of it is like, there's like some finality down there. Like
2: Um, how, uh, uh, when you go shark diving, do you bring like oxygen with you or no?
1: Oh, no, no. I, I do do scuba diving, but typically it's all free diving. So it's holding your breath, diving down there. And, and how long can it. you hold your breath for? <laughs> ah, if I was training up, I could hold it for about four minutes, and 30 seconds. Holy shit. Right now,
2: once. No. I felt like I was going to pass out after 20 seconds. No, no. Everyone <laughs> the further you get well, down, right, the, the harder got, it yeah. gets. Yeah. It's called things.
1: the mammalian dive reflex. So your body is accustomed to be able to hold oxygen and uh, be able to uh, live without oxygen for a long time you're born in for nine months in underwater and you're in your mama's belly, right? Yeah. So your blood shunts from your extremities to your internal organs. It, um, your liver actually squeezes to produce more red blood cells to go into your bloodstream. So your body is meant to go into this reflex. It's a natural reflex. Your face hits cold water, it automatically kicks in. Mammalian dive reflex. Should we do a, a uh, breath holding contest?
2: I went, I went free diving once and I, that sounds cooler than it was. I was. <laughs> <laughs> the water was Does like that God, mean he he just went swimming. Swimming. Went swimming. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I had the goggles. I had the goggles. I was like snorkeling. The snorkel, but they yeah. would tell. I was with some guy, and he was like, "We were in Turks and Caicos, and the guy was like, you know, take off the oh, snorkel.' Oh, fancy guy. Take off the snorkel, and basically like dive down. We'd go in like these little like cave-looking things. Not really caves. <laughs> like How deep know, do you go when
1: you free dive? <laughs> oh, I could hit a hundred feet.
2: A oh, hundred feet. I didn't, we, we didn't yeah. go anywhere
1: close to that. We Bro, like you sound like, he you like, you like you like you held your I'm breath like the length of the <laughs> pool. Yeah, it wasn't like in
2: standing room water. I was like
1: diving. We were. Uh- I was like. <laughs> Like uh, this Greg guy
2: Williams. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, you come with me, I'll get you down to 50 feet. All right. Yeah. That, if, if you have a proper instruction, you'll be able to hold and you it. You leave them there, right? The yeah, you got it. You leave them there. See at the surface. All right. Tell us about Jupiter Group. What what are you guys doing? <laughs> so because of my past with branding, licensing, and all this, I got to understand from a very ingrained level from the internal side of how every organization, IP, brand, institution is trying to get into the NFT space. So NBA Top Shot, they did a great job of kind of opening a mass adoption for people to get involved with digital ownership, digital scarcity, digital ownership, own that one video of LeBron James dunking, you sell it on the marketplace, make some money. And I think that's the first inroads to people finding the NFT space. But I got to see quickly about how all the major players out there all want to get involved with this industry, but just don't have an inroad to get there. They don't have a vehicle. So we created Jupiter Group. And my partner, Nicole McGraw, she owns the Art Gallery in Palm Beach. She's partnered with a contemporary artist, world-famous contemporary artist, Brendan Murphy, who has 22-foot sculpture of Bungie Spaceman in Antigua. He's doing another one in London. Anyways, we partnered with him to form um, the Bungie Project, which is a 10K PFP avatar project aimed at connecting digital to physical so that way, the majority of the world who got involved with um, Brendan Murphy's Bungie project could own a piece of his work, which is usually priced out of the market for a lot of people. How much is it? Uh, for the PFP? Uh, well, for, for the physical piece, but also the PFP. Oh, uh, for some of the physical pieces sell for $350,000. Wow. Some of his paintings sell for $50,000. So the mini sculpture sells for $20,000. So, it's, you know, I mean, his buyers are Serena Williams, William, uh, Warren Buffett. Um Buffett buys it? Yeah. He didn't didn't buy one of our NFTs, but we're working on (laughs) it. If he if he buys an NFT before he buys Bitcoin, it'll be all time. That would
0: be incredible. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So so uh the whole idea is you take the physical art and a lot of the PFPs are basically the same uh type of art, uh same artist. But what is the connection between the physical piece and then this uh the digital pieces?
1: So, we did what was called a, a proof of burn concept with a redeemable polygon token. So, if you minted during the pro- during the minting process the first 200, you were entered into a guarantee to get a mini physical sculpture from Brendan Murphy, a 101 mini sculpture, 13 inches tall, roughly around 20K on a fair market value. Um, so, that's one of the pieces we were able to give out. Uh, 30 paintings we gave out, and then a seven foot, $750,000. Boonji sculpture as well, which is really cool. It's massive. It, massive. A kid from Fort Lauderdale won it. A 19-year-old kid. What's he going to do lived with it? lived right across the street from it. I, I, it sounds ridiculous, but it was completely randomized and completely... All, it's all on chain. We built the, everything across. on chain. <laughs> 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 okay? I just walked it over. Yeah. That's one of those things when,
0: when you know who wins, you're like, damn, I gotta have to explain this yeah. one.
1: <laughs> it was too perfect. Yeah. He, he literally lived across the street from the gallery where are just sitting in. And it's, again, it's all on chain, so we <laughs> built it out. You can see it was
0: <laughs>
2: So
1: randomized. what is he going to A 19-year-old kid gets a $750,000 sculpture. What's he going to do with it? So we dropped him a token, the redeemable polygon token. He could hold it. He could trade it if he wants to, or he could hold it and then... Re- He'll burn it to redeem it for the physical. And he can do whatever he wants with it. It's his Yeah. Seven does he, has he indicated what he's going to do? Uh, he's got a lot of cool ideas, actually. A lot to try to give back to the piece. But now he's really effectively part of art history. And I don't say that lightly because now he is an owner through a proof of burn system that we built out through Blockchain Network for a $750,000 physical sculpture. So it's one of a kind. And beforehand, the only thing that happened like this was uh, Uniswap did a uh, redemption token like this for what they called Unisocks, And the Unisocks they price up to around, I think it's $150,000 for a pair of socks now. But the idea is that you were able to burn the token to redeem the physical. And that's what we're trying to do, connecting the digital to physical with Brendan Murphy. Then our next one with uh, Mr. E, his Instagram account's MREGFX. He's a fantastic digital graphic artist. We were launching his polygons to so do the same thing for him, connecting the digital to the physical. How many people actually burn the token to receive the physical? No one's done it yet. So the the redemption hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Um, but right now they're trading on the open market on OpenSea. Oh. Uh, we're
0: going to pull up a picture here in a second of uh, uh, of the physical sculpture. And when you see it, It's just, this took a long time, right? It's like one of those pieces that you're just like, damn, that like the proof of work that goes into, uh, to, to building something like this, which I think like, forget all the digital stuff for a second. I, I do think that one piece of, um, uh, that's really interesting is people forget how much work goes into, uh, creating the actual art itself. Right. And when you see sculpture specifically, like to me, it's just, it's one of those things where like. I couldn't create that if I tried, right? So you have respect just for somebody who has a skill set that you don't have. But then when you look at something like this, it's very obvious. Even if you know nothing about art, there's like, oh, I'd created something on the weekend. And then there's like, oh, this is a professional that created something that was super, super high quality. And I think that that's part of what uh, the allure for a lot of this is, is, is there's this like aspirational component to some of these artists that you're just like, dude, I like the, care that you put in the attention to detail it's crazy i don't even like i i, I didn't know until uh you had told us uh, that the source was a big deal but like oh yeah we got the uh the photo here and he's standing next to him. that's a seven foot tall statue or sculpture that he yeah made. sculpture yeah, yeah sculpture
1: what is there a difference between a statue and a sculpture there is yeah. think about a uh a piece yeah, of marble in the yard is got gotcha. it okay
0: yeah. got it yeah yeah so like and even the base and i mean like it's just it's incredible uh and then what is
1: written on on these like, it's all his formulas. It's all little bits and pieces of his work, of his life, all come together in formulas to try to try to solve it, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> so that took three years.
2: Okay. Three years so of concept.
1: Yeah. Three years to make that sculpture. Yep. Holy shit. Yep. And then the, the PFPs, the 10K project, 11K project we did, is 20 years of his work all wrapped up into one. So when we were working with him, the first uh, generations of the software to be able to spit out all that different, all the different traits in the PFP and the avatar, he saw his work after 20 years out of a new way he's never seen before, which is really cool to see because he had all the backgrounds, the bodies, the visors, the ears. He, we coupled it all together, and the software spit out 3.5 million different iterations of the avatars, and we only took the 11K out of that. So we got to see his work in a, never, in a new way. Plus, now, our, our Discord before we launched, it reached 142,000 people with zero marketing put into it. It was just completely organic and really amazing to see how now you have over 100,000 people connecting with a new artist, Brendan Murphy, who they probably never heard before, and now they are they're fans of his for life. It, it, it changed his outlook about how it is. And I think Beeple kind of did it right, and he was the one that put the cat out of the bag. Now everyone knows, like, we're going to jump into this full force. But to to really jump into it from an artist's perspective, when I working with Brendan Murphy and working with Mr. E., it's it's scary to them because it's so mm-hmm. new and so foreign. But now they get to connect, and I think that's a beautiful thing about the decentralization of Web three that NFTs are, you know, a subset of that provides because it allows everyone to participate on a whole new level. Because now they are you know, as a free market trades these things in open public, they they can profit off of these things. Yeah, it's, and it's a global liquidity market. It's not like the art market right now where you have to go take it to some show and hopefully it sells. Now you now you can connect with everyone. How do you think
0: about your business? Like, are you guys going to go look and partner with these artists and then like help them basically take their ideas and their art and then bring it into like this new world? Or are you thinking of it some other way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we will partner with the you know, world famous contemporary artists out there, digital graphic artists who want to get fully on board with it as well. And that's a very important thing. And I think that this world we're in right now, the NFT space, it's very apparent that a lot of big celebrities are leveraging their brand in order to be able to just throw out an NFT. Hopefully they make some money and they walk away. It's, it smells of bullshit and everyone knows they can't, that's like, you're not going to be involved with that anymore. Mm -hmm. So now you're going to have to, if we partner with anyone, a Juber group, it's their life now because it's our life and it's now the community's life. So they're going to have to be full force building that community with us. The artists just can't produce something and walk away. It's never going to work. And that's why I think you're going to see like Nike, for example, Nike just jumped into is Roblox right? Mm-hmm. Nike did his big thing, and I one thing I read this tweet the other day, it's not mine. I wish I remember who said this and said, What's a greater headline? Was Nike made a hundred million dollars off of jumping into the metaverse, or some kid sold a pair of digital Nike shoes for a million dollars and changed his life? And I think that's that last one the kid sold it for a million dollars is the definition of Web3 and where we're going. That's mm-hmm. the metaverse, and I think yeah. that's it's all falling down that road, yeah.
0: P- part of, in. in by no means am I an expert on any of this stuff. But as I think through it, like I've always said, uh, we already live in the metaverse, right? Like the internet is the metaverse. Twitter is the like... Um, uh, Gabby Dyson from Guild uh, uh, Games told me he was like, it's the lo-fi version. Mm. So we all meet in the digital square. We walk around. I kind of see what everyone's talking about. I can jump into a conversation if I want. I can ignore somebody if I want. I can uh, take what you say and go and share it with everybody else by retweeting. Like, like there's this element but it's super low, uh, fidelity, right? It's, uh, um, not what people think of when they hear metaverse or virtual world or whatever. And maybe there's some transition to something like that, but it's very obvious to see, uh, why the visual components of this are becoming so powerful. And and people, when you're looking at a a screen, you're going through the portal, right? If you buy into kind of like the ready player one stuff, um, it, it just feels like, art is such like a no-brainer to to kind of pull people into it. Um, do you think at all about like headsets? And um, I've got a, uh, I bought a, uh, what is it? Oculus Quest 2. I haven't used it yet. I'm, I'm waiting for the right time to pull it out. But uh, what, what do you think about like
1: those headsets and kind of like where this world is going? I think it's pretty cool. The Oculus is a really cool system. I think they solved a lot of problems from the original Oculus and the Vive mm-hmm. to today. I mean, you're going to have Zuckerberg pumping billions of dollars into it to try to recreate the metaverse or what he did with meta. And I don't think the metaverse is going to be owned by any central location. I think it's just a, a another extension of the internet. So it's going to be fluid. You're going to be able to jump from one verse to another verse, to like a Roblox or Sandbox or Decentraland, AR, VR. It's going to get deeper and deeper in the feeling like reality. And the, the headset will be the first iteration of that for sure. Yeah. One of the things that we did that
0: I thought was pretty cool was we went and toured a building that wasn't built yet using VR. Yeah. So using the headsets and using the hands, and you can connect with people. Um, and so you can tour the same building at the same time with someone that's located in New York while we're in Miami. So I thought that was really interesting because you basically are seeing a development before it's built in front of your eyes rather than just looking on on paper when you're building like a golf course or something
1: like that. Yeah, without a doubt. And I, I think the, 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 the whole... B- the middle of it all of it all is the blockchain, right? And Bitcoin really started it. Now I'm, I'm a big Bitcoin guy. I'm wearing the Bitcoin shoes right now. <laughs> he does have on the yeah. Bitcoin Adam <laughs> shoes. <laughs> so I think that the the idea of Bitcoin allowed everyone to understand digital scarcity and digital ownership, right? And then you'll have subsets that like Ethereum being able to build off of and do dApps on top of that and Solana. Then but like when you get to the understanding of what the metaverse is going to be, I think if you are a video gamer, you can fully understand it, right? If you ever played World of Warcraft, which I did, you understood that there was a whole digital economy on there where people are taking real world money, buying gold to buy swords and helmets and everything and spend years in their life in that space. But then they come out of it, they have nothing to show for it. They don't own anything. They didn't do anything like that. I mean, parents now, they know how much money kids are spending on skins for Fortnite. It's absurd. But they don't own that skin. They don't own that character. With blockchain and what this technology is going to allow us to do is that you will be able to own that character. You'll be able to own that sword. You'll be able to own that piece of artwork. You'll be able to own a piece of culture within this metaverse that you can then pour all your heart and soul into. And then it's going to have a value. So the value is going to be able to sell on the open market. And it's already happening. I mean, OpenSea, it did $3.4 billion in trading volume of last August. That's beat eBay. And there was only a couple hundred thousand people actually trading on
0: there. Yeah, it's like it's like two, 300,000 people and they yep. had massive volume. Here's one of my big questions. Does it matter where it gets built? And does it matter if it's decentralized versus centralized? Like how, how do you think about, um, I'll, I'll use an easy example. So if I go to uh, twitter.com, google.com, you know, wh- whatever website I go to, amazon.com, I probably couldn't tell you what the technical stack is, right? I know simple thing at TCP IP, right? Like there's some core things that we know the internet generally runs on, but once you get past maybe three or four core components, I couldn't tell you if they're using AWS or they're using Google cloud, or they literally have their own servers. I couldn't tell you what uh, the code is written. Like off the top of my head, like I I don't know what the technical architecture is. I could go find out some of it, but as a user, I just want to be able to go to google.com type in a word and it tells me what the answer is. Right. And like, as long as that works, like I'm good to go. Is that where we're going to end up with all this stuff and like all like the, the tribalism, everything almost like doesn't matter because just whatever works, people will use and the end user won't know what's actually underlying it? Or do you think that there's still going to be some level of importance as to like where it gets built for some you know reason?
1: I think it's going to be a global decentralized system without a doubt. I think uh, the time and place of where like a Twitter or Facebook – or you could be kicked off the network because you said something wrong, is going to go away. And we're going to have bad actors be able to utilize that, utilize that open system as any new vehicle they have bad actors on. But eventually that's all going to get weeded away too. Eventually it's just going to be a decentralized system where you like the internet, you could build on it and do whatever you want on it. Unless you're not harming anybody, I think it's going to be completely open. Yeah. I don't think you're going to be finding one central location for it to be built. Like for, for example, sorry, uh, like Amazon web services or Google cloud, that's still a centralized server. And that's it's true. still sitting, the data is sitting in a farm somewhere in some location. And that if you have the most important data in the world, if that fails, you're, you lose your data. And I think the decentralized cloud is the next evolution of that. Like we util- utilize storage to host all our 4k resolution for our NFTs across the decentralized global network. So you could be able to go on and see, on storage right now, where all your assets are being held, and I think people are going to want that securities.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Where can we send people to uh, to find out more about this stuff? Uh, and I know you're going to stick around till the end of the show, but wh- where can we send people?
1: Yeah, go to uh, our Discord, which is uh, Boongy Project, and also Polygon's. Our Twitter, which is Boonji Project, and also Polygon's be able to follow us there, get it. And anyone wants to get into an NFTs, understand what it is. It's still extremely early. It's the wild, wild west. Still, you have to be very systematic and be secure with how you operate in that space, be able to understand what you're clicking on, who you're clicking to, where you're alloc- where you're connecting your wallet to uh, before you just start arbitrarily jumping around. So be careful out there, but uh, you do it correctly. You jump into a discord, you jump into Twitter and become part of a community. You'll be able to understand what, digital ownership of a piece of artwork really is.